Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena, the 1997 anime. And the trick here is that I am a decades-long super fan. This is Chesney's first time watching it. If you're watching along with us, that's great. Um, I apologize for like the big lag in episodes. You're going to hear about this well after if you're listening like currently it's actually going to be a few episodes back when the delay happened but um i have been in the hospital for quite some time like i was very sick for a bit there um i am recovering well i'm i'm doing okay but sorry about that delay everybody but we are back we are back to recording again as usual and we are back with episode 21 um there's two titles for this one um, uh, the first one that's given is Troublesome Insects, which I prefer that one, but, uh, the title in some translations is Vermin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of talk in this episode of vermin versus insects. So I guess that was just a translation thing, but it was interesting to see that as the title card and then Nanami talk about vermin and parasites. <laughs> well, like vermin includes parasites or uh, and bugs, yeah, includes bugs and insects and stuff like that. So, like we in the modern day uh, <laughs> tend to distinguish between like vermin and insects, and we think of vermin being like small animals. But like even as recently as like seventy years ago, vermin didn't mean just like small animals it also included insects very definitely like that was a, a much more used term um like kafka's metamorphosis whenever it's depicted it's always showing him turning into um an insect even though mm -hmm. like i think the word used is vermin so yeah like it, it's a thing um the distinction between the two has kind of it's kind of a modern thing, but the words are definitely interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was our trio episode. Yeah, so all along, I have been naming the trio, like, in the podcast. Because, like, it's Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko. But in the show, I was reminded, I think we might not have ever heard their names until now. Nope. This is the first time. So, yeah, like, later on in the episode, Utena is going to say, like, I don't even know your name. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that was my reminder of, like, oh, wait, the audience actually doesn't know their names unless they're listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's much, like, to me, it was hard to believe that Utena doesn't know their names. But then I remembered that, like, they've never been mentioned on the show. So yeah, it's actually much more believable that Utena just doesn't know who these three are. Like she just <laughs> knows them by face, not by name. Yeah. It's like the, they've been the equivalent to the um, male triplets this whole time. Like just kind of in the background uh, as like cronies and comedy relief. <laughs> and always and, attached to Nanami. Yes. Like, that's the thing with both sets of triplets is, like, they always orbit Nanami. Is it confirmed that 
the trio, Keiko, Aiko, Yuko, they're all triplets? Oh, no. Um, okay. I was just calling them triplets because... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're a trio. Um, and, like, in this case, the episode opens with Nanami marching into the school. Uh, she has her arms crossed and isn't carrying anything. And then we show the trio and they are carrying all of Nanami's bags. And buttering her up the whole way to school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it is just compliment after compliment. <laughs> I feel like that would... And the look on Anami's face kind of says it all, but I feel like it would get really annoying after a while. And I think she was at that point. <laughs> well, right. Because, like, it, here's the thing about it being annoying after a while that's actually a sign of maturity. Yeah. Um, that like, she's realizing how fake this is. Yeah. But she's not quite at the point of turning around and saying, all right, you, you guys can knock it off. I don't need all of that. She's not there yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and from the end of the episode, we know that she doesn't get there in this episode either. But yeah, the look on her face is definitely one of, Mild annoyance until <laughs> Toga shows up. So I got confused with this part. Was that a flashback? This It could be one of two things. He's better and he's just like, yeah, I just don't feel like going to class. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just still not, you know, mentally there yet. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Because, like, yeah. we, we do see him still sulking. Um, like, yeah, he seems out of it in like, different parts of this episode. I'm surprised that we don't see him in, like, an unkempt yukata, just, like, walking <laughs> around the streets, like, in his pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> he just pulls a, um, oh, gosh, that uh, Akito or whatever character from Fruits Basket. Or they're just always walking around in a disheveled yukata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like um, the equivalent of walking around in your bathrobe, you know? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> um, like, you know, you don't have anything else. You throw on your yukata and you just go out on the street. <laughs> Barefooted like, and everything. Because like, if it's the right style and cut, a yukata still passes for like acceptable clothing in 90% of scenarios. Like yeah. it's not quite equivalent of pajamas, but for someone like Toga, it would definitely be the equivalent of pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing you can throw on um without nearly as much thought as like other garments would be. Yeah. But he, he apparently still has, like, some standards. Like, even when he's sulking in his room later and staring out the window all sad, he's still in his uh, student council uniform. Like, this is a guy who, no matter what the scenario is, still gets up, gets out of bed, puts on, like, gets ready for the day, puts on his normal uniform, and then goes to sulk. Like, <laughs> like he's not sulking in his underwear. Or I wonder if the catch is that he's just been in it this whole time. Like, he's never taken it off. <laughs> oh, there's an idea. 
So when he appears, uh, there is the yellow flower of Nanami. Um, and it's just kind of like, it's not like one of the corner flowers. This one is hanging around in the middle of like the middle left of the frame. Like so it's there for so long that I thought my screen glitched. <laughs> right. Like did somebody just leave that? Like, did somebody put like a, a flower sticker on the camera when they were recording the cells of animation? <laughs> like what <laughs> happened there? <laughs> Well, and that's why I was asking if it was a flashback, because they're talking about like, oh, that was a wonderful opening ceremony and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, was this maybe like her first day at Otori Academy and meeting the trio? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that is a flashback, because this is the the first time that the trio meets Nanami. Mm hmm. Because, like, they're inviting her to join their friend group. Yes. And they don't even realize who she is until her brother shows up. Right. And then they're all like, oh, shit, is that her brother? Because, like, <laughs> the way that she fawns over him is definitely not, you know, brotherly affection. Which is something that has been a theme for Nanami this whole time. Like, all 21 episodes up until this point has been a theme for Nanami. And it's good to see, like, some outside eyes on this of, like, yeah, no, that was weird the first time they saw it, too. (laughs) (laughs) It was also just very middle school and high school. You know, like, middle schoolers meet the high schoolers. Uh because of how they like all swoon over him too it's like oh my god that's that's nanami's brother oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and like we see them in the bedroom right after this all eating pocky and you know fawning over him and talking about like how cool nanami is and how they were lucky that they were the first ones to talk to her because like that was how you found friends as a little kid, right? Like the first person you talked to was your friend and no one else could be your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This also just starts off like on the wrong foot because like it already starts off on an uneven playing field because they're like, we have to be grateful. She chose us to serve her. Right. Yeah, they refer to themselves as the Chosen. Yes, capital. The capital Chosen. (laughs) And like, there's an, like, as always, like, there's that element of class where there's the difference between, like, rich and wealthy, which is, I think, possibly on display here as well, where, like, Nanami and Toga are definitely wealthy. (laughs) I think everyone who goes to a Tory Academy is rich. But like that wealth gap of you know being ladies in waiting to yeah. Nami, you know? <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's exactly what they are. Where like the best they can hope for is to be the assistant to the top person in the school. Which is wild. <laughs> 
And so then we cut back to the present and the conversation turns to like what to do about Toga. And they hatch this idea, uh, Nanami hatches this idea of, well, wait, is it Nanami or was it the trio who comes up with the idea of a party and then Nanami like gloms onto it? I can't remember. It's probably this the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember either. My notes say we'll have a grand party to cheer up my brother. Okay. So the way it's phrased is so it, it does this a lot there's a lot of prelapse sound in this episode where a scene cuts in already in progress with the sound playing and it is Nanami clearly replying to the girls saying that uh that a party would be a great idea and then she immediately takes credit for the idea which we don't get the first part of that conversation but just judging by it being Nanami, I am willing to bet that it was one of the trio who came up with the party idea and Nanami immediately took credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> like the way it's phrased is ambiguous, but just by judging who these characters are, I think it's less of a stretch to think that like she stole the idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's like, anybody who's anybody will be invited, which is funny that she says that because uh, later on we see that Utena and Anthe have both been invited. <laughs> so like, yeah, that was true. Anybody who's anybody yeah, is going to get invited. <laughs> Her instructions were very clear. Invite as many people as you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, there's this hilarious thing going on in the background where there's another student, a boy, who's like trying to get Nanami's attention and tell her, hey, um, Nanami, it's your turn to clean the blackboard before, before we leave. And she's so busy talking about this idea for a party that she's just completely ignoring her responsibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing with, you know, Nanami and Toga, anytime anything around him is brought up, that takes her whole attention. Nothing is gonna, you know, take her gaze or attention away from that. Right. Also, <laughs> I wrote down, why do they look so plotting? <laughs> because like, when Nanami is telling the trio this, and then they go and like, give out all the invitations, they just have this like mischievous look in their eyes <laughs> as they're like throwing out invitations to everyone. It's hilarious. Well, they have a mission, right? Like they have yeah. a concrete thing that they can do to serve their girl. Yeah. Um, like at one point they approach uh jury and jury's response to being invited to this party is, we are in crisis and she wants to throw a party. What the fuck girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, Keiko is like throwing invitations at anyone that she sees. And at one point does this like ninja throw where she jumps up <laughs> in the air and throws them like shuriken and they all just fly out and they all hit somebody. <laughs> and 
to like give them their invitation. <laughs> yeah, she has like extra enthusiasm for this. And the scene after this is her looking in the mirror at herself and she says to herself, I know Toga probably won't notice me, but still, as she's like, a, you know, putting on her dress and fixing herself up. Yeah. So this is that first insight that we get into what's going on with Keiko. And that's that she has a crush on Toga. This isn't just about serving Nanami and thinking Nanami is awesome. This is our first hint that she's there for Toga. Mm-hmm. And so her enthusiasm for this party isn't necessarily enthusiasm to serve Nanami. It's here's a way to get Toga out of his room so I can see him. Mm-hmm. Because right now only Nanami can see her brother. Yeah. Yeah. So she takes like extra steps to make sure everything's good to go for the party. Like the trio is on it, but Keiko puts on rollerblades to like yeah. make sure everything's done in time. <laughs> yeah, she is rollerblading around the ballroom, getting everything set just for that little extra bit of speed. <laughs> yeah. So Nanami rolls in and she is in this beautiful ball gown. And it's very noteworthy here that like, Nanami's colors are always yellow and black. Like, that's her student council uniform colors. Um, and now we have her in a ball gown that's yellow and black. But unlike the student council uniform, in this dress, she looks like a queen bee, specifically. Yeah. Like, it is not just that she is a, is a queen bee. In this moment, she very clearly looks like one also. Yeah, she looks incredible. And I felt so bad for Keiko in this moment because, you know, in the scene prior, she's like worrying about like, oh, I know Toga probably won't notice me and is like kind of fidgeting with her dress. And right before Nanami comes down, Aiko... And Yuko say, oh, you look so good. And then here comes Nanami, who just blows her out of the water. But more importantly, she sandbags her. Yeah. She's like, hey, I have some work that needs to get done and it's really urgent. Would you be a dear and take care of that for me? Um, it is exactly the kind of social bullying that like, for those who don't know, um, the movie... Uh, the movie Mean Girls was based on a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes. And this moment right here is exactly that shit. Like, it is exactly the kind of social bullying that would fit right into something like that. Um, like I, the timeline doesn't work out. Like nobody read this book who is working for B Papas. Like that's not how this happened. It's just like this kind of bullying is just like a known thing for like yeah. how these how these kind of girls operate. Um, yeah, and we know how Nanami operates because anybody who could potentially be a threat is automatically gonna get bulldozed out of her way. So. Right. 
the like, fact that Keiko's dressed up, she's like, nah, you can go do my paperwork. And Keiko's even like, oh, but the party. And she's like, <laughs> Nami responds with, everything's already, isn't it? And she's like, yeah. She's like, so there's no problem. Go ahead. I'll see you later. Yeah. Like her only purpose was to get the party ready. Yep. And that's just it. Nanami doesn't even know at this point that Keiko is after Toga because mm-hmm. that reveal comes later. But in this moment, all she knows is that Aiko and Yuko love Keiko's dress. Yeah. And that's enough for Nanami to say, nope, you're out. You are off the team for the moment. Yep. That's wild. (laughs) And like, Keiko does it because she knows that standing up to Nanami in any way would lead to Nanami just obliterating her. And it's her own social, like, suicide. She would lose everything. Exactly. And she even says, you know, as she's walking down the the hallways of the school, dejected, she says the only girl who can ever get near the prince is a princess from his world. From his fairy tale world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, a key part of it. Like, she names what is going on in Otori Academy. Like, there is a fairy tale being played out here. And these people are seeking to fill these roles of prince and princess. And the, and since he is trying to be a prince, the only person who can get close to him is a princess. And she says it in a way that like signifies that she doesn't see herself as one. Yeah, here again, we have this narrative theme of quote unquote normal people in this universe, just getting bulldozed. And I can't even remember what character exactly it was. Who's like, that was their whole crusade was like, basically us normies just get thrown aside. (laughs) (laughs) That was, um, hang on. That was a Wakaba, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah. Cause like that was, the the rage like bubbling up in in Wakaba that got her to go do the Black Rose stuff. Yeah. Uh is that like she had her moment to shine and in that moment um challenged Utana. Mm-hmm. Because like she was never gonna get another shot with Sionji. Yeah. And, like, that also just shows, like, where Wakaba's standards are at. (laughs) (laughs) That that reveals a whole lot about Wakaba. Like, fighting that hard for that guy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I get getting swept up in the whole, like, cool guy, cool popular guy at school type thing with the gorgeous hair. But, nah. (laughs) So, like, I will say that a guy like Sionji... If he had some time away from from Toga and from the school, like longer than he had, long enough that like his desire to return to Otori Academy faded, mm-hmm. um, 
like if he got into like a stable relationship and like chilled out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And most importantly, stayed away from Toga. Yeah. Um I think like as a 30-year-old, he'd probably be fine. <laughs> like <laughs> He'd be kind of a dick, but like he'd be fine. Like that. Like I wouldn't have like a huge problem with him at thirty years old, you know. Because like he's the kind of person who you think would probably mature a little bit. Whereas Toga, never gonna get there. He has that like sociopath streak to him. That like that will only get worse with age, um, and like and that's just it. Like because Sionji also could just as easily be like a 4chan guy. Yeah. And like Sionji's had a fork in the road. Toga passed that fork years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um he is fully committed to being upper class asshole where like more money and more power will only enable him to be more of a dick. Yeah. Total tangent. Anyway. <laughs> um we do get some shots with Keiko, like, being sad in, like, the library stacks, um, like, in the filing room, that kind of thing. And she's watching the party from the outside at one point. Like, she finishes work, goes to the party, the party's in full swing, and she sees Toga with Utena. And at that moment, she's just like, fuck it. I'm not going. Yeah. Throws the dress off, like pulls her hair down. She's like done. I mean, not right there outside the window, but like runs home and like throws everything off. Right. So the next day, um, Utana, Anthe, and mickey are all talking about the party and we find out that like toga showed up to the party but this is where we learn that he still isn't coming to school mm -hmm. which again i guess that means the ballroom and the kiryu estate are elsewhere um this is where nanami rolls up with the trio and is indignant about the fact that Utena showed up to her party. Like, <laughs> Utena was supposed to just understand that even though she got an invite, she wasn't supposed to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and poor Utena the whole time is, like, so confused. Like, Nanami, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, this is that cross between, like, bullying... And class classism stuff. Yeah. Like, Utena is the 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 hoi polloi, the, the commoner who just doesn't understand that you, you don't accept that invitation. You are not <laughs> worthy to be there, and you should know that. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Keiko, who gave her the invitation, is piling on also with like, yeah, you shouldn't have been there. Mm-mm. Shouldn't have been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Anami like accuses her of sneaking around and spying on him, and she just showed up. Like she just walked into the party like anybody else would have, and 
talk to him to see how he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> but in Nanami's eyes, like, that's nefarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then... <laughs> so when the trio are berating Utena, um, the third one to speak, who I, th- I think is is Yuko... Um, like she, there's no, there's no further point to be made. So she's just like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then comes back for one final, yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it. Oh, and this whole time, by the way, in the background, uh, Anthe's like nodding off. At first, at one point, when you first see her, she's like facing a pillar and like bobbing her head back and forth and i was like is she talking to a wall and then (laughs) towards the end of the conversation you see her turned around facing the audience now and she's like nodding off yeah and she pops up and she's like oh was i asleep just now um and utana comments on it and she says like oh chuchu's been keeping you up with his crying hasn't he which whoa because like if if we're thinking about choo-choo still as like an extension of anthe like part of part of anthe's like emotional reality like her outlet yep like as her familiar if he's feeling whatever anthe is feeling for her so she can remain placid and calm and he's crying every night for people who get it we already know what's going on between Anthe and Akio as of the first episode of this plot arc. Mm-hmm. For those who don't get it, this is another clue that what's going on between those two is capital letters not okay. Yeah. And so like there's we're dealing with some serious PTSD stuff here where um, like her depression is being pushed out onto Choo Choo. And so he's up all night crying. Yeah. I mean, he's like you said, he's the, like the manifestation of something, whether it's her emotional state or her subconscious, or even just the manifestation of like her compartmentalized feelings, period. Um, that is a huge red flag. Uh, what I don't understand is the next scene in which we see Choo Choo all tucked in in a little sleeping bag <laughs> and killing himself with his own fart. <laughs> like, dude bombed himself with his own <laughs> fart, sucked it up in his mouth, and then <laughs> blew it out like a ghost or his soul or something. Yeah, like... So, <laughs> I, I, this is a moment where I have nothing interesting or insightful to say except to say <laughs> that, like, that kind of humor goes over differently in Japan than it does here. But also, like, what the fuck, Chuchu? <laughs> <laughs> Like, what does that even mean other than, like, Anthe might have an upset stomach? You know, like, (laughs) oh, my God. I mean, the phrase, like, huffing one's own farts has not entered the 
the like <laughs> cultural lexicon when this show was made. But like Yeah, like we got we got Choo Choo here just getting high on his own supply and Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. Listener, if you have some thoughts on like what that symbolizes, go ahead and write in. Maybe like the toxic fumes <laughs> are like a symbol of the toxic relationship. I don't know. Yeah. Stamp it, print it, let's go. That like I that's fine. <laughs> uh, I'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to a moment of like an interesting moment of Anthe and Utana in the planetarium without Akio. Mm -hmm. And the two of them are just talking and Utana is talking about the Pleiades cluster. Um, For those who don't know, the Pleiades is um, a cluster of, well, there's six visible stars, but there's way more than six stars that are actually there. Um, And it's one of like the most famous constellations throughout human history um it's one of those constellations that like every culture or almost every culture identifies because it's like such an obvious cluster of stars um in the west it's known as the pleiades um it's part of uh there's myths about it it's also commonly called the seven sisters even though there's only six stars that are visible What's interesting about the Pleiades is that long ago, like long, long ago, three, four thousand years ago, seven stars were visible. And the story that is passed down in folklore from like several different cultures across the world that had not had contact with each other yet is that like one of the others kidnapped one of the other stars and that's Mm. why there's only six now um which is one of those like cultural memory things of like yeah that used to have seven stars what actually happened is like one of the stars is now passing in front of the other and occluding the one behind it so that like it's not as visible as it would have been four thousand years ago like it used to be you could see two distinct stars and now with the naked eye, they look like the same star. And so um, that's just like a fun random astronomy fact that also is like a cool anthropology fact. (laughs) I love that. Um, But in Japan, it is the constellation Subaru, which uh, Utana names, which is a, a word meaning like together, which is where like the Subaru car company came from uh, or where they got their name is like they were a combination of a bunch of different companies that all came together to form the Subaru company Um, so like it's about uniting and so like that's where she's referring to Subaru Um, I am not as familiar with the pillow book of uh, Seishonagon but um that's a, a book that's like a thousand years old. 
Um, apparently it's very famous. It's one of like the classic literature pieces. That's as much as like I found with Googling. Um, and that's all I know about that one. <laughs> um, I like that one little piece of this scene, that name drop. I had to Google it. I have no idea. Um, yeah, so there you go. <laughs> I love, uh, and this concludes, uh, today's session of class with autumn. I love it. <laughs> oh, no, there's actually, there's actually a little bit more because, oh, um, so before we get there though, Utana drops this knowledge on, on Anthe about the Pleiades and she's like, I just found that out from Akio. Um, I, he's, I've been talking with him. He's been teaching me stuff and it's very interesting. To which she, uh, Anthe gives like a very skeptical soul, which is like, ah, okay. <laughs> and the skepticism in that tone of hers is palpable, but she does still have like a smile on her face. Um, and when, um, when Akio shows up, the smile doesn't fade either. Like whatever is going on here, she's compartmentalized it enough that like, she doesn't go robotic just at the sight of him. Mm -hmm. So like, it's a little more complicated than just like pure victim abuser dynamics here. Um, but Akio rolls in and says like, oh, hey, here you two are again, just like the twins, Castor and Pollux, which is another constellation um, in the West. It's Gemini. And um, Castor and Pollux are a pair that is seen like throughout several myths. Um, like sometimes they are depicted as immortal brothers. Sometimes they are mortals. Um, chances are Castor and Pollux are based on like real people or real ish people like mytho historical figures. Um, wherein like the original stories, they were, they were mortal and then, like, as later Greek myths took over, um, they became, like, the sons of uh, Zeus and Tyndareus. And so, like, in those myths, they're immortal. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes, like, only one of them is mortal and sometimes the other is immortal. Like, this is the thing with, like, really long-running myths uh, mythical figures is there's a lot of stories about them. And so not all of them are compatible with one another in terms of the like basic facts about who these people are. Um, but they're old enough that they're, they're probably at least like mytho historical figures or historical figures that were mythologized. So now concludes <laughs> Uh, well, uh, class the class time. has a, <laughs> the class has a question. Was there anything, or is there anything weird or suspicious or some anything that stands out about the twins and their history at all? 
that you know of? Because I didn't bother to like Google it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I just, I don't know why. Um, as far as like Akio invoking them. Yes. I, this is a moment where like, I don't necessarily want to read too much deeper into it other than like, they're the twins. And so seeing them together, um, um, I think, I, I think it's just a matter of like, they're the most famous astronomical pair. Okay. Um, where like, if Akio is going to reach for an astronomy reference, he's going to land on Castor and Pollux. Um, Cause like, Utana and Anthe don't have a sibling relationship. And so like, it, it doesn't quite, it doesn't like land on that level either. Yeah. Where he's pointing out that like they're twins who are inseparable. Like in this case, it's just like he sees them together all the time and you know, the twins go together all the time. Um, Got it. Okay. I wondered if it was like a, you don't see one without the other yeah. or if there was something pretty, like it's deeper pretty much there. That. Yeah. It's pretty much that I think. Okay. Um, Cause like at least at this stage, as much as everything is framed as Utana and Anthe being like in a relationship and not just friends. Cause like mm-hmm. the, the way that they feel about one another and the way that their feelings are framed by the show and the narrative. Um, and like the intro and outro artwork, all of that stuff clearly sets these two up as a relationship. But like at this moment in the show, that isn't exactly what's going on either. So like, it's definitely not like a romantic reference either at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I figured it wouldn't be. Cause I was like, I don't remember there being, maybe I'm wrong, but I was like, I don't remember there being a weird incestuous twins story with Jim and I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's still like, as always, he still makes it weird. And is like, seeing you two together is an even more beautiful sight. <laughs> Which it's like, please go away, you absolute creep. <laughs> <laughs> and Utena is just kind of like, haha, and just like, laughs it off, brushes it off, like any teenager who doesn't know better would, you know? Yeah, I mean, there is like an element of their story about like, honor and nobility that kind of mirrors Utena's, mm-hmm. but um it's not quite like at that level either i also don't think that akio is like throwing shade with this comment either um no i think it's just creepy (laughs) well that's just baseline for him yeah (laughs) (laughs) at the end of this scene utina leaves anthe alone with akio and of course, like, I'm over here like, girl, no, do not leave her alone with him. Uh, <laughs> right. But at this moment, like, what we see on screen isn't terribly concerning in, in like, a gross way. Um, but what he does 
do is like Akio does tell Anthe to stay friends with Utena. Like to stay like Castor and Pollux, where the two are inseparable. Mm-hmm. Which kind of puts it into this territory of like is Anthe doing all of this like everything at Akio's behest because like at this point there is still the very real possibility like we've seen her lose once before there is the possibility that Utena would lose a duel and lose Anthe yeah and here we have Akio saying like whatever happens stick by her that's a powerful statement you know however you want to read into it because it's kind of him saying (laughs) regardless of the outcome which would goes against like the whole rules that you know maybe Anthea set or that's been set before her of like once somebody loses that's it you lose the familiarity with them right and now he is saying like nope stay friends with her i also want to touch on one small detail because as we know with the show the writers the animators everybody working on this show don't just do things for no reason when Utena steps on the elevator, she is backlit in red. That elevator, I don't think, is always that color. They've come down in that before, and no, it it's is. been like a perfectly white background. I thought. I think the, I think like it's brightly lit sometimes, but like that's a it's a red elevator. Okay. Still symbolic. <laughs> I wondered if it was like danger. <laughs> it's but, a vagina. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so then we have the eye catch and we come back to um Keiko out in the rain. And she has a uh an umbrella. And she's just kind of sulking as she's walking in the rain. And she spots Toga. But the first, like, before we actually see Toga, we see the white rose start spinning. And then we see Toga. So now we have this kind of acknowledgement by Keiko of the, like, the fairy tale prince dynamic. You know, like, she's now seeing him as the prince and not just someone she's crushing on. Yeah. Cause like we've never seen her look at Toga and see the rose before. Now we get a white prince rose with Toga and she cooks up this plan of like, I have an umbrella. He doesn't have an umbrella. What if we shared an umbrella? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And she has a moment where she like has to steady her hand because she's shaking at the thought of calling out to him to to ask if he wants to share her umbrella. And eventually she does. She she works up the nerve to say, hey, do you want to share my umbrella? And this is the moment where Nanami discovers what she's what Nanami feels is a betrayal. That Keiko isn't her friend. Keiko has just been using her to get to her brother. And she sees them through the trees. Toga's holding the umbrella over Keiko. And we get the plucking of the black rose. Yeah. And it's interesting how this plays out because I didn't know which way it was going to go. I didn't know who was going to be the duelist this time. If we were going to get Nanami or if we were going to get Keiko. Because at this moment, it could go either way. Just from this scene alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, because it's Nanami's anger that's like at its peak at this moment. I think like symbolically, yeah, you could make a case that Nanami would be the one who rides in the elevator. Right. But she doesn't. And the next scene that we get is wild. So Nanami calls Keiko out to an abandoned corner of the school grounds. And Keiko's like, oh, Nanami-san, you know, like, blah, 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 and starts bubbling off. And Nanami just goes, Keiko, from here on out, you're dismissed from all school groups, all affiliations, blah, 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 blah. Like, lists it all out. All clubs, all dorm organizations, all of it. Yeah. And I guess she has that power as the student council president, but she is abusing it in this moment. Right. Uh, <laughs> Because it's over, really, from an outside objective perspective, an innocent act of sharing an umbrella with someone who didn't have one. I know that there's a cultural significance of like, oh, like, if like you share an umbrella with your crush, blah, blah, blah. Objectively, though. <laughs> oh, there's nothing objective about this. This is, Not this to is, Nanami. Everyone is up in their feelings in this episode. Hardcore. Yes. And, uh. and Nanami goes on a rant and she's like, to think the worst vermin was under my feet all along. I will crush every single one of you. <laughs> yeah, that that was um powerful stuff from Nanami. <laughs> and so in the wake of being read to filth by Nanami, um, Keiko runs to Aiko and Yuko to, for help. She's like, you have to intervene on my behalf. You have to talk to her, talk some sense into her. And Aiko and Yuko respond with, did you hear something? No. <laughs> yeah, which is wild. You would think like there would be some allegiance there, but nope. Not even a little. Um, and so we see, uh, we see Keiko alone in the back of a classroom 
at the end of the day, no, none of the other students are in class anymore. It's sunset. She's just sitting there pondering like how far she has fallen over sharing an umbrella. And let me just say, I love this villain arc for Keiko, to be honest, because (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this anger towards her friends is justified. Absolutely. Every single bit of it is justified. Like everyone in that scenario should have treated her with a little bit more respect. Like Nanami flying off the handle and dismissing her from everything over this is such an absurd power play. And then the way that Yuko and Aiko just pretend she doesn't exist. Like this is a moment where if she wasn't so caught up in like the click of all of it, I feel like Keiko could probably fall in with Utena and Anthe and be friends. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Utena has shown, like, she is not discriminating when it comes to, like, who she's friends with. If you want to be cool, she can be cool back. Um, And, like, the moment Keiko knocks her shit off, uh, like, on behalf of Nanami, knocks, knocks that shit off, I fully believe that she could be friends with Utena that same day. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Instead, what we get is the prelap sound of the elevator dinging. So while we are still focused in the classroom, we hear the elevator in Nomuro Hall. and, And now we get Keiko's confession. Um... Where she says, I only stayed by her side to hear, to get to Toga, to be near Toga. And when Mikage tells her to go deeper, she's like, I can love whoever I want. The real vermin here is Nanami. She's the real problem. She's not wrong. And this is like, I wrote my, it's in my notes here, but I made note that throughout this episode, there has been very little music. Yeah. Um, Like I, I first really noticed it at this moment where we're finally hearing like that, um, the elevator theme, which is mm-hmm. just kind of like that horror movie drone sound. <laughs> Yeah. I realized, like, we haven't had a lot of music in this episode. Um, Like, there's the ballroom scene and a few other shots, but, like, it's been a very quiet, very pensive episode when it comes to, like, focusing on Keiko's inner world. Mm-hmm. Um, like, contrast that with, with Wakaba's, where, like, we still have that same energy, that same, like, focus on Wakaba's inner world, but like music was being used to much greater effect in that one to, to do like the work of the scene setting in this one, not so much at all. We just get like the long pensive silences with Keiko, which drives home like 
the silent desperation that this girl is, is stuck in. Yeah. Until absolutely. this moment in the elevator where she's like, fuck it. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck Nanami, especially. Give me a sword. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and to me, I'm like, it's totally justified. She's right. <laughs> this Why is the one. Me? I'm right. <laughs> exactly. This is the one elevator ride where I'm like, yeah, yep, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so up until this moment, like, it's really not clear who she's going to draw the sword from either. Cause like the, the flower gets plucked when, um, with like the scene with Nanami. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's a case to be made. Like she would go for Nanami, but we just got that with Tuabuki. Right. So now we have like the final, um, the final student council member, uh, Toga. It's going to be his sword that gets drawn. Mm-hmm. And she rolls up on him. So she shows up with an umbrella, which is just like a baller move. <laughs> <laughs> and so she takes his sword and says that she wants him to look only at her from now on. This is also the first time we hear anything out of Toga. And it's just this pained cry as the sword is pulled out of him. Right. Well, we heard him say Nanami earlier when he shows up in the first scene. But I'm thinking that these two pieces of audio uh, are like previously recorded audio that they just reused. Yeah. Um, Because what we know from production notes is that Togo's voice actor wasn't around for this, which is why he says virtually nothing. Like we just get like a sound and him saying Nanami. And like, how many times has he said the, the name Nanami over the course of this show? Like where they can just drop that that audio in. Right. Um, and so so now we get the Shadow Girls. And um it's a butterfly being chased by a mantis, and the butterfly is asking for help. And in order to help, uh, somebody sprays uh, insecticide and kills the mantis. But the cloud of insecticide also hits the butterfly. And the butterfly is like, well, now you've killed me too. And Utena goes, actually, that was just air freshener. (laughs) (laughs) And... To me, this seems like it's about how everyone around Nanami, and I think on some level, including Nanami, wants out of this scenario that they're in. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a clique of girls who all secretly hate each other. Oof. And they all want out. But Nanami's answer to this scenario is to go scorched earth. And in doing so, cuts off one of the people who is the most loyal to her. Mm-hmm. 
And so like, like the cloud of insecticide or air freshener, um, she is hurting herself as much as she is hurting the people that she considers to be insects. Yeah. Like she doesn't see that these three are also people just like her. Yeah. (laughs) That like what hurts them also hurts her. She sees herself as so separate and distinct that like, it doesn't occur to her that all of this is hurting her as well. Yeah. And Utena rolling up to this fight is <laughs> so interesting because really Utena shows up and she's like, wait, are you one of the girls that's with Nanami all the time? And there's a point in the fight, too, where both of them are like, wait, why are we even fighting right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so to back up a little bit, um, when when Utena arrives in the dueling arena, there's umbrellas on all of the desks. Again, we have the symbol from the episode repeated in the arena, um, and then the umbrella was very central to everything that happened. So the first thing that Utena says is, is that Toga's sword? What are you doing yeah. with Toga's sword? Like, why do you have Toga's sword? Why you? <laughs> like, that is the question that is just like baffling Utena because she has no idea what is going on within Nanami's friend group. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, the fuck are you doing with this guy's sword? <laughs> um, and at the beginning of the fight, her response to that is just to smirk at her. Um, and throughout the fight, Keiko is saying things like, um, Nanami doesn't even consider her to be human. To which Utena is like, yeah, I picked up on that. But again, let's go back to the first question. Why do you have Toga's sword? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so she's finally like, yeah, that's not your concern. That's none of your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally... Keiko has this moment where she's totally lost in thought where it occurs to her actually no Nanami is the vermin here not me yeah she has a total villain's monologue to realization moment (laughs) yeah like she is the one duelist so far who takes the final step of like actually realizing what's up and that she's completely justified in being here rather than just being like angry and indignant and up in her feelings she finally connects the last dots of no you know what this situation is bullshit (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. I deserve more respect than this. And in the middle of her, like having this realization, Ujna cuts her rose off. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result, you know, for the first time we see like the item on the table float away, like all the umbrellas like float off on like a wide shot on the duelist platform. And uh, we see that Keiko has fallen into one of the, you know, red silhouettes on the floor. And Utena goes, I don't even know her name. I always thought she was Nanami's friend. And then she says something like, it just goes to show that the roots of hatred spread under the surface where you can't even see them. Yeah, so the dual song for this is Transparent Period of Adolescence. And the first verse of this song is um, actually in English, which I found was like really interesting. And that's the words vanish, fade away, melt away, um, uh, disappear. And in this song, they're talking about um, like fake people and uh, betrayal. And then like, the end of the song is all about running away on a journey at a hundred kilometers an hour. I have no idea where that one's going, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea is um, central to like the theme of this episode of realizing like the relationships around you are everyone showing like this false facade to one another. These are people who are not being genuine with each other, which is like a a key part of like adolescence, right? Is you reach that point of trying to fit in with the people you've been friends with for a while. And then you realize like for the maybe for the first time in your life that you're on different paths from one another and it's time for those friendships to end. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like people will talk about people being fake and that kind of thing. Um, personally, I've always found that like people who gripe about that the most are some of the people who have the hardest time being genuine uh, <laughs> themselves, but like, that's neither here nor there at the same time, like in this song, um, uh, it's all about, you know, those kinds of, of relationships. And, and I think like that captures what's going on with the four of them, you know, Nanami, Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko. Yeah. All of it being not necessarily not genuine, but reaching a point where they're, they're just at different points in their lives. Like you were talking about earlier, it's almost like, the way I visualize it is a plant that's been in a pot for too long and its roots can't grow anymore. Like it needs to be in a different pot to grow and expand. And that's where like their relationship as a group is with each other. Right. Yeah. And again, like at the end of this duel, she's collapsed in the outline on the floor and Utena's response is, I don't even know her name. She's 
one of Nanami's friends, I think. <laughs> yeah. And even the the, the shot to um, the memorial hall. <laughs> Mikage coming through with the shade here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to see her call her Mistress Vermin. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, that was a failure, but at least I got to see that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then the next day, uh, Utena's watching the four of them walk through the school courtyard and everything's back to normal. And Keiko's saying, oh, yeah, there's no way someone like me could ever love Toga. Isn't that like, that was so ridiculous what we just went through, basically. And I, it makes me sad because I'm like, Oh, you were so close to like a huge growth and realization moment. And I don't know if it was like the rose being cut or just her personally not being ready to make that change in her life. But she just went right back to what she was comfortable with. You know, that comfort zone Mm -hmm. for her. Yeah. So like it resets the board to zero for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, she just buries her feelings again and goes right back to her life as before. What I would have given to have seen an alternate version of this episode where <laughs> Keiko stops fighting Utena, leaps off the duelist platform and chases Nanami around the school with Toga's sword. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, the things I would give to see that happen. <laughs> It would have been amazing. Can you imagine how furious but also terrified Nanami would have been to see her with Toga's sword? It would have been yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like a an element of this where if Keiko had shown a little more self-actualization at the end of this episode... think it probably would give away a little bit too much about where the show is going okay and for listeners who like know what i'm talking about with that um i'm just like planting that seed of if keiko had stuck to her guns after this duel um i think her fate would have been very different at the end of this episode. Um, And the fact that she doesn't grow as a person out on the other side of this duel is very much in keeping with like her remaining within like the world of the show as the character she is. Um, Something very different, like it would have given away the ending of the series had Keiko grown as a person here and like what was necessary, like what necessarily would have happened if that happened. And Hmm. that's as far as like, I'm going to say anything about that. (laughs) That's interesting. Um, But yeah, like we see this moment where like the board has been reset to zero and Ushina looks at it and goes, I don't get it. (laughs) To which 
Anthe tries to help her out by explaining how to recognize which one is Keiko, which one is Aiko, and which one is Yuko based on their haircut. <laughs> yeah. And Utena's like, no, 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 that, that's not what I was saying. She was like, I just don't understand why she's back with Nanami. And before we go on, like, I just want to point out how hilarious it is that they hang a lampshade on the whole situation with like, yeah, their hair is actually how you distinguish between the three of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, Anthe responds by saying, oh, that's easy. If it's for someone you love, how you feel about others doesn't matter. You keep lying to yourself for as long as it takes. Which Anthe is absolutely telling on herself in this moment. Yeah. Like that is not necessarily as true as Anthe is making it sound with like how firmly she is stating this as a fact. But the fact that she is stating it this clearly is absolutely telling on herself. Like this is what Anthe is viewing the world through. And Utena even gives her this look like, what the fuck? And then the episode just ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, mm, I'm not sure about your police work there. <laughs> yeah. That, that, Uchen is a little skeptical at that moment. <laughs> yeah. So what um, are your predictions for next time? Well, it looks like we're going to get Utena exploring Nimuro Memorial Hall a little bit more and finding out more of the history. Um, because it seems like to the student body, it's not clear whether it's just a, you know, urban legend or myth or rumor, or if it's real that like a hundred students die and a professor died in a fire or not. Right. Um, so it seems like that's what we're going to find out in the next episode. I do have a tinfoil conspiracy theory, you know, hat Go on. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with the preview for the next episode, but while we were watching the end credits this time, there's a scene with Anthe in the, this version of the end credits where she is looking over, um, who, who I assume is Dios's shoulder uh, with this very like cold calculating, like I can't even just like put my finger on it type of emotion, but it's very much like a, I'm the one in control here. Um, my tinfoil conspiracy <laughs> theory is, uh, is that however this show ends very much hinges on Anthe. I don't think it has to do with Utena really at all. Okay. Um, I think just something in me is like, it's going to come down to whether or not Anthe decides to go one way or another. You know, if she decides kind of like with Keiko in this episode, if she decides to grow and let go of the old, or if she decides to move forward and do something new. 
I imagine that's probably very scary for Anthe, who's held the position of the Rose Bride for, according to my tinfoil <laughs> hat conspiracy theories, like thousands of years. <laughs> one one metric eternity. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I'm still not convinced that this um that Otori Academy isn't either a simulation or like a whole thing just trapped in a bubble where they're just reliving <laughs> stuff for like thousands of years. Um but yeah, that's my tinfoil conspiracy uh, theory for this time. It's just however this show ends is going to hinge very much on Anthony and her decision. And quite honestly, I think it's whether or not she's going to relinquish what she considers to be her power and control. Okay. Interesting. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, we've established that she holds some sort of power as the Rose Bride. And to me, I'm like, I feel like this show is going to hinge on whether or not she's going to give that up. I don't think she will. Oh, okay. I think she, I think she's too comfortable in that. Um, you know, Utena has this whole, like, savior complex of, like, I want to s- save a princess and, like, be like a prince and emulate who saved me. I don't think that's going to happen. So, That's just a feeling. So, wait, so you're saying you don't think that Utena is going to save Anthe? No, I don't. Okay. So then what do you think is going to happen? Because now we're talking like another, uh, let me, so 18 episodes in the future um, <laughs> about what's going to happen. I think she there's a very real possibility that she gets exiled from this bubble. Okay. Like, like Sionji has been and like other characters have been. Cause if you don't go with the norm on this show, if you don't go with the status quo, you get booted. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, like we saw that happen with Sionji and, and yeah, the the very ominously stated, if you don't go along with what the end of the world wants, you disappear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm not saying that like <laughs> the end of the world wipes out Utena's existence. <laughs> but I do think there's a very real possibility that Utena just doesn't get to participate in the world anymore. Wait, Utena or Anthe? Utena. If she doesn't go along with whatever it is that the end of the world and honestly, Anthe want. Okay. Oh, okay. Got it. Cause like, I think earlier you said Anthe at one point. So I thought, Oh, my you bad. Were saying that like Anthe doesn't go along with the end of the world and gets booted. Oh no, 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 no. Nope. Sorry. Met Nutena. Okay. Got it. Okay. That there is, is also that a is possibility. A hell of a tinfoil hat. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of, um, usually when we're watching the intro and the ending theme, is, that's when like the cauldron starts stirring. <laughs> <laughs> that's when the cauldron of tinfoil hat theories starts stirring. And I just, I just ruminate on things and over time, especially just thinking about this show over time and the power dynamics that we've seen. Again, we know Anthe has some level of control 
over like the magic realism in this world. Mm-hmm. I do think that it's also very possible. And I, I don't know that I've said this on this show yet. <clears throat> I do think that it's very possible that Anthea and the end of the world are the same person. Uh, it keeps pointing to be more and more likely to be honest, uh, considering the amount of control she has over the magical realism of the world, but we'll see when we get there. Okay. Yeah. I I'm now like super excited to see like what you think about the actual ending. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So that was Chesney's like, galaxy brain tinfoil hat moment <laughs> seriously um, <laughs> if if you have any like input on any of this please write in um you can get to us by email at absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com um you can tweet at us on twitter at zetai Unmaypod. um we're also both individually on twitter i'm at life in neon and i'm at car cutie and we would love to hear from all of you. Um, I know, like, we've been gone for a while, which is probably not the case if you're, like, just listening to this straight through because the the break in my, like, releasing episodes took place a few episodes back. But, like, now you understand, like, what actually happened. Um, <laughs> but we're back now and we would love to hear from you. Um in response to the previous episode that was released, which was uh, the one about the cowbell. Uh-huh. Uh, Anthe Admirer on Twitter <laughs> posted an absolutely brilliant edit of a couple of screenshots of the episode in which uh, Utana is saying the her line of, like, trying to, like, reach out to uh, Nanami and tell her like hey knock it off with the cowbell shit she's like first of all a cowbell is something that and then like the the trio of boys grab Utana and muffle her and uh, Anthe Admirer has like edited it to label the three boys as um, me Chesney and Carly <laughs> because of our position that like Nah, Nanami's living her best life and um, you need to let her stay a cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. That I, I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, please write in. Um, let us know your thoughts and we will see you next time. <laughs>